you'd open your Bibles to the book of 1 Samuel, we'll be in chapter 12. 1 Samuel chapter 12. When we left off last time, Samuel and the people, King Saul, they were essentially having a celebration. Up in chapter 11, verse 14, Samuel said to the people, come, come on, let's go up to Gilgal and let's renew the kingdom there. So all the people went to Gilgal and they made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal and they made sacrifices and peace offerings before the Lord and Saul and all the men rejoiced greatly. So this celebration is taking place and the celebration is a result of what Saul had accomplished for them. If you remember correctly from last time, Nahash the Ammonite king uh, was was uh, pillaging the tribes over on the east side of the Jordan River, the tribe of Reuben, Gad, and half tribe of Manasseh, and he was really and he was doing something really ruthless to him, really mean to them. Remember what, remember what he was doing? He was poking out their right eye. He was taking all the men and gouging out their right eye, and he came up to Jabesh Gilead, and he basically surrounded Jabesh Gilead, and the people said, well, can we make a deal with you? And they said, no, the only deal is you're going to come out and we're going to poke out your right eye. And the people at Jabesh Gilead said, well, wait a minute. Give us a week. Let us send out some people and see if we can get some help from our brothers, from the fellow tribes of Israel. Well, they gave them that week, and we thought, well, that's kind of a dumb thing to do as a military strategy. But remember, Jabesh Gilead was the only tribe who didn't help the rest of Israel when there was a civil war going on earlier. So it was almost like the idea that, go ahead, go ask anybody you want. Nobody's going to come to your aid. You didn't help them. Do you really think they're going to help you? Well, word comes to where Saul is. He's coming in from the field. He hears the word, and he's, it's just bothered. He's, the spirit of the Lord comes upon him. He's just moved to take action. He cuts up the ox. He sends it all out. He gathers the troops. They head down to Jabesh Gilead, and they wipe out Nahash and, the, and, the, and his people there. And as a result of that, this celebration is taking place. And Samuel sees it. Hey, let's give this country back to the Lord. Let's give this nation back to the Lord. Let's go on up. Let's go to Gilgal and we'll renew the kingdom there. So in the midst of this celebration, in the midst of this excitement, in the midst of this joy, this emotional uprising, if you will, we walk right into chapter 12. And Samuel says to all Israel, indeed, I have heeded your voice in all that you said to me and have made a king over you. And now here he is, the king, walking before you. And I am old and gray-headed, and look, my sons are with you. I have walked before you from my childhood to this day. Here I am. So here comes Samuel in the midst of the celebration. He goes, hey, I've done for you guys what you've asked. You've wanted a king. Here he is. Here's King Saul, head and shoulders taller than everybody else, good-looking man. This is the guy that you wanted. He's given you victory, and here I stand, a gray-haired man, an older man. And what we're going to see tonight is Samuel's kind of turning over the kingdom to King Saul, to Saul here, but he's not going to let, he's not going to let the Israelites forget their transgression. Because you remember what their transgression was, and it's important to, and it's important to keep it into context. Their transgression was that they weren't supposed to have a king. The name Israel means governed by God. But they came a point where they said, well, we want a king like everybody else. We want a king. And Samuel went to the Lord and said, Lord, what do I do? And the Lord said, give him a king. Go give him a king. So this is what Samuel's saying. You asked for a king, you've got a king. And as he stands before him, he declares, here is the king. But he also says about himself, I'm old, I'm gray-headed. Look, my sons are with you. I've walked before you from my childhood to this day. Here I am, witness against me before the Lord and before his anointed. So he's asking them, he's going to, when he says witness against me, he's like, I'm going to ask you a question. I want you to answer it truthfully before the Lord, and I want you to answer it truthfully before the children of Israel. And he says this, whose ox have I taken? Whose donkey have I taken? Or whom have I cheated? Whom have I oppressed? Or from whom or from whose hand have I received any bribe with which to blind my eyes? I will restore it to you. So he essentially says to the people in a public setting, who have I wronged here? Have I taken anybody's oxen? 
Have I taken a bribe? Has anybody in this congregation bribed me? Is there anything that I've ever done wrong? And when he says at the end, I will restore it to you, it's him like saying, if I've wronged you and I'm not even aware of it, speak now and I will restore it to you. In other words, he's got this open promise. If I've done anything wrong to anybody, would you step forward and I'll fix it? Wow. What if we could do that? Try that on Facebook sometime. Try that on your social media, Twitter. Try it sometime. If I've done anything wrong, I will fix it. Go to your work. What if you called all your employees or the people that work with you or for you around together and said, hey, I've wronged any of you. If I've offended any of you, I want to fix it. Samuel's a man who's walked with God his whole life. He's got nothing to be ashamed of. He's got no baggage. He's got no past. He's got no history You know, the longer I walk with God, the more I hate the baggage that I carried into my relationship with the Lord. He doesn't have that. And there's this idea that young people have to sow their wild oats or or walk away before they come back or they have to live live life and then come back to the Lord. And Samuel doesn't show that to us. Samuel shows us just the opposite. Samuel says, you know what? It's possible for you to walk and serve God your entire life. And I've done that. And I can stand before every single person I've ever met every single person I've ever served, every single person I've ever had contact with and said, who have I wronged? There's some people that wouldn't dare get up in a group of people and say that because they know what would happen. Hands would be going up. You know, you wronged me here. You did this to me. I wish I could say that. How about you? Can you say that you have, you have lived that life where you have never wronged? And that's the legacy that he's leaving. That's, a leg- that's his legacy. I've never wronged anybody. Now, I can say as a Christian, anytime I've ever wronged somebody, I've, I've made it right. But before I became a Christian, what's life about? Climb, this, climb the ladder. If you've got to step on somebody to get there, go ahead. If you've got to move somebody out of your way, go ahead. If someone is offended by you, who cares? But if that's not what Samuel's saying. Samuel's a man of God. Samuel's the last judge and the first prophet, if you will. And he can stand before them and say, look back over my life. Publicly. He can publicly say, look back over my life. He could say, take all my Google searches and see what you see. There's nothing bad there. He could say, take my Facebook account. Look at all my pictures. I haven't deleted anything. It's all there. He could say, take from the beginning of my life to the end. There's nothing there that can come against me. Wow. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? Because like I said a few minutes ago, the closer I get to God, I hate the baggage that I bring into my relationship with God. And the chances are, Unless you were like Samuel and started at a young age, which is perfectly possible, and what a blessing it is to do to live a life that way. For the young people, I encourage you to be like Samuel and live that way. Don't bring the baggage of the world into your relationship with the Lord. Don't bring the baggage of the world into your marriage. Don't bring the baggage in the world into your, as, a, as a parent. Don't, don't bring that along if you, don't, if you don't have it. Stay away from it. But Samuel stands there with this legacy and says, nobody can say anything negative against me. Nobody. Not a, you can't even say that he came to work complaining one day. That's his attitude. Who can, look what he says. I have taken, whose donkey have I taken? Whom have I cheated? Whom have I oppressed? Whom I, who have I put down? Who have I stepped on? Who have I moved past? Who have I ignored? Whom have I oppressed? Or, who's, or from whose hand have I received any bribe which to blind my eyes? I will restore it to you. And notice what the people say. They said in verse 4, you have not cheated us or oppressed us, nor have you taken anything from any man's hand. And he said to them, the Lord is witness against you, and his anointed is witness this day, that you have not found anything in my hand. And they answered, he is witness. So Samuel's, in a sense, preparing what he's about to say. And he's getting ready, and he's, he's sort of setting the stage saying, listen, There's no, uh, I don't owe you anything. None of you have anything against me. I've never done anything wrong to you. I've never taken anything from you. You know, the worst part about taking a bribe or being bribed is now you owe that person because if you don't give them what they want, they're going to be able to tell everybody that you took the bribe. Samuel says, you don't have that against me. And he says it again. He wants him to confirm. In the Lord's eyes, the Lord's witness, have I done anything against you? Speak up. And they as a group say, no, you haven't done a thing. Samuel has been faithful his whole life to the Lord and to the people. He's been faithful to the Lord and to the people. 
Then Samuel said in verse 6, Samuel said to the people, It is the Lord who raised up Moses and Aaron and who brought your fathers up from the land of Egypt. Now therefore stand still. Now I, I like this because he starts off with the history. Samuel says, you got anything against me? No, well I've got something I want to say to you. Because I have something against you, is essentially what he's saying. You have nothing against me. I'm not being promoted to do this. I'm not being paid to do this. Nobody's bribing me to do this. I want something. I've got something I want to say to you. And then he says to them, it's the Lord who raised up Moses and Aaron and brought up your fathers from the land of Egypt. Now, therefore, stand still. Why do you say stand still? Because I think this is a party going on. This is a celebration. And all of a sudden, he's gotten real serious. He just took, you know, they're, they're celebrating. They're sacrificing. Woohoo! we got the victory. The Lord's doing this. We're, there's just an emotional lift going on here. They're, they're partying. They're worshiping. This is great. I don't mean partying in, a, in an alcoholic sense. There, there's an emotional high going on here, if you will. And Samuel says, have I done anything wrong? No, you haven't done anything wrong. And all of a sudden he says, the Lord. Ooh, the Lord. He wants him to remember something. He says, the Lord raised up Moses and Aaron and brought your fathers out of the land of Egypt. Now, therefore, stand still that I may reason with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous acts of the Lord, which he did to you and your fathers. So Samuel starting out here says, listen, guys, stand still. Don't walk away. Don't get up. No going to the bathroom. No walk. We're not done here. I'm going to spend some time reasoning with you. And I want to remind you what the Lord God has done for you. And what he's going to show them is, hey, I've been faithful to you and God has been faithful to you. And he's going to remind them that God has been faithful. In light of your unfaithfulness, God has remained faithful. They don't want to hear that right now. Because they're in party mode. They're in celebration mode. They're in excitement mode. But sometimes we need to hear how God's being faithful. And we need to, remind, we need to be reminded that God's faithful. Even in the past. But he's also going to remind them of Israelites' failures. So what we're going to see him remind them of is God's faithfulness. And yet, in spite of the failures of the Israelites. Verse 7, Now therefore stand still that I may reason with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous acts of the Lord which he did to you and your fathers. Verse 8, When Jacob had gone into Egypt and your fathers cried out to the Lord, when the Lord sent Moses and Aaron who brought your fathers out of Egypt and made them dwell in this place. So he reminds them, remember how our nation got started? Remember the history of our nation? Remember, we went down into Egypt, and we had 70 people. As we went into Egypt, into, into Egypt with 70 people, we became in captivity there. When we left, 400 years later, how many did they go out with? A couple of million people is what they estimate they went out with. Started at 70, 400 years, you have a couple of million people. God birthed a nation from within inside of a nation, and now he's calling them out, and he remained faithful, and he brought us to this promised land. He gave us all that we have. He's the one, the Lord is the one that brought us there. In verse 9, and when they forgot the Lord their God, he sold them into the hand of Sisera, commander of the army of Hazor, into the hand of the Philistines, into the hand of King Moab, and they, and the, and they fought against them. Then they cried out to the Lord and said, we have sinned because we have forsaken the Lord and served Baals and Ashtoreths, but now deliver us from the hand of our enemies and we will serve you. He reminds them of their behavior. He reminds them of their past. You know, when you got into the promised land, you guys were tempted by the, by the worship, by the religion of the Canaanites. And you began worshiping like they were worshiping. And essentially, you forgot God. And as you forgot God, as you left God, you, you went into this, to this Canaanite culture and you became part of it and you didn't drive them out like I told you to. And now that you became assimilated with them, you became affiliated with them. And before you know it, you're, you found yourself being taken over by them. Now, just as a side note, they never stopped believing in God. They just stopped serving God. They never stopped believing that God existed. They knew their history. They knew what God had done for, the, for their nation. They just stopped serving. They stopped living for God. And they began living for what we could call today the things of the world. They just, they, they just it, it wasn't, you know, they didn't turn their back on God. They still believed God. They just let a few other things come in as well. Oh, that's a, that's a problem for Christians today. We see that all the time. Hey, come to Christ. Believe on Jesus. Pray a prayer. But if there's no change of life, does it really have meaning? If they're still living and following the things after the world, have they really come to Christ? Or have they just come forward or raise their hand or pray to prayer? 
You see, there has to be a change in somebody's life. Somebody who's going to serve God has to then follow God. Somebody who's going to live for Christ has to then follow Christ. A Christian means Christ-like, which means we're being transformed from who we were into Christ, into being more like Christ. Don't be deceived because somebody prayed a prayer that they're saved. That's the worst thing that we can believe. Come to Jesus. Say, say you're a sinner. It's easy to get somebody to admit that, right? Because we're all sinners. Pray a prayer and you won't go to hell. Okay, I'll go to hell. That doesn't necessarily make somebody a Christian. You see, God looks at what? The condition of the heart. God looks at the condition of the heart. Are you really believing what you're saying? Or are you just saying it because you don't want the outcome of what somebody told you on the street saying, if you don't pray this prayer, then you're going to burn in hell someday. You see, we're going to be studying coming up on Sunday, the beginning of the tribulation period. And you want to talk about a fire and brimstone message that you don't want to be a part of. You're going to see it from chapter 6 all the way to chapter 19. Because as we turn the page, as we turn the page on Sunday mornings from this beautiful throne room of God and the, and the, and the, and the Lamb, we're going to go see the wrath of the Lamb. And that will put literally the fear of God in somebody. But if their heart doesn't change, if they really don't change their life, there's really nothing happening at all. They just want the excuse to say, all right, I'm saved, now I can do what I want to do. And that's not saved at all. I'm convinced, I like altar calls, I think they're good things and we need to offer them, but I'm convinced sometimes you can, you can move somebody too emotionally to make a decision for Christ, and they make that decision, they really didn't mean it. And now, where do you stand? Does that mean you don't do an altar call? I don't think that's the case at all. I think that it's the pastor's choice and that he has to do it when the Lord feels like he's calling him to. And, but at the same time, you want to make sure that people understand what the decision they're making. It's not just a decision to, hey, I want to follow Christ for no reason and because I, because I don't want to go to hell. It's heaven or hell. Which do you want? I want heaven. Pray this prayer. Good, you're in. And off you go to the bar. It doesn't work that way. Samuel, Samuel is reminding them of their disobedience. He's reminding them of how often they have left the Lord. You know, you left them here and the Philistines took over. You left them there and you, the king of Moab took over. You left them here and the army of Hazor took over. And you left them here and the hand of Sisera took over. And you said that you came to the place where you said, we've forsaken the Lord. We've served Baals and Ashtoreth. What was that? What, what place did they have to come to? That's repentance. They came to the place where they admitted their wrongs. We've left the Lord, we've served Baals, we've served Asherahs, we've served other gods. And then they ask, but now deliver us from the hand of our enemies and we will serve you. In verse 11, the Lord sent Jerubbabel, Badan, Jephthah, and Samuel and delivered you out of the hand of your enemies on every side and you dwelt in safety. So he's reminding them kind of in a quick way. Listen. When you cried out for repentance, in, in repentance, and you really meant it with your heart, the Lord delivered you. Every single time when you cried, the Lord delivered. When you cried, the Lord delivered. You left the Lord, you came back to the Lord. Now, we've talked about it before. How long would it take for you to say, I'm done with you guys? How many times would it have to be for, if, if we could be God, would we just say, forget it? Now, they're faced with the same thing. We want a king. No, I'm your king. No, I want a king. Okay, fine. Here's your king. And look what Samuel says next in verse 12. And when you saw that Nahash, the king of the Ammonites, came against you, you said to me, No, but a king shall reign over us when the Lord your God was your king. Samuel is reminding them, you have exchanged the Lord God as your king for King Saul. You've exchanged that. You've, you've said no to God. And please understand something. The Lord gave them what they asked for. The Lord gave them what they asked for. He knew it wasn't what was best for them. But it's what they wanted, and he said, okay. I take that as a personal warning. Be careful what you ask for. Because you just might get it, and it might not be what's best for you. Because the king idea ruling over Israel is not going to be really in their best interest throughout history. We're going to see some problems starting with King Saul in the coming chapters. He gives them what they ask for. Verse 13, now therefore, here is the king whom you have chosen and whom you have desired. And take note, the Lord has set a king over you. So Samuel is emceeing this gathering, if you will, and he says, here is your king that you have asked for. And what do you think the crowd did? Woo, that's the thing, that they're probably cheering and celebrating. Why? Because he was just victorious in battle. 
He just relieved them from the oppression of King Nahash. So they're probably cheering. And look what he says next. The Lord has set a king over you. You have a king because the Lord has given you what you asked for. You haven't, you know, and it's this idea or this concept where, where it really is kind of mind-boggling that I could ask the Lord for something. The Lord would give it to me, even though it's not what's good for me, because he's still, but he's not done working with me. That's, that's what I want you to get out of this. They ask for a king. The Lord doesn't really knows it's not what's best for them, but he's going to give them the king, but he doesn't do it in a way where he says, here's your king, fine, I'll see you later. The Lord says, I'm going to pick a certain king. I got one in mind. I'm going to pick a king for you, and I'm going to put him over you. Because this is the king that you want. You want a tall king. You want a handsome king. You want a king that can take you into battle. This is the king that you want. So I'm going to put your king in front of you first. I'm going to give you that king that you want. Verse 14. The Lord has set a king over you. If you fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and do not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then both you and the king who reigns over you will continue following the Lord your God. So... He's not done with them, but Samuel also gives him a warning here. He says, there's a warning here. It's the same thing. Just like you're supposed to follow God, you're supposed to continue following God. He says it very clearly. If you fear the Lord, which means if you honor the Lord, if you respect the Lord, if you, if there's, a, there, you know, the fear of God is a healthy thing. There has to be this reverence for God or there has to be this, you know, the Bible calls it a fear of the Lord. And it doesn't mean like you're cowering in a corner, but certainly it, it leads in that direction where we need to have this healthy reverence for who God is. We don't just take for granted, you know, sometimes we'll say, oh, it's Big Papa. You know, I'm gonna, he, he's, my, he's my dad. Well, he is, but, but please understand that, that and, and while we can relate to him personally, don't ever, don't ever sacrifice the reverence or the fear of the Lord and bring him down to your level. You're always trying to get to his level. He's not coming down to your level. We are the ones that have to be in the place where we recognize his power, his majesty. He is the one in charge, and he is the one who graciously kneels down to us and says, how can I help you? What do you need? Let's spend time together. It's not us going, well, Lord, I don't know if I have time for you today. It's we're coming to his, up to him. He's not necessarily bending down to our love. You understand what I mean by that? We need to keep that healthy reverence, that healthy fear of the Lord. And Samuel says this, if you fear the Lord, and what else does he say? And you serve him and obey his voice. Samuel says, I want you to fear the Lord, I want you to serve the Lord, and I want you to obey him, obey the voice of the Lord. That word for serve means to till, to work, to toil, to accomplish. It means I am doing something for God. I'm literally working for him. I'm serving him. It, you know, it, it's, it's not this idea of God serving me. God's not doing what I want. You know, Lord, I really want to do this. Would you come alongside me and bless this? No, the, the idea is I'm serving the Lord. We need to be people who say, God, what do you want me to do? How can I serve you? What is it that, where do you want me to go? How do you want me to act or how do you want me to behave? And, it, when, when, and then it says obey him. Obeying God means when I hear something in the word about my life that I change it. When the voice of the Lord speaks to my heart and says, hey, don't do this anymore, I do it. If you're not obeying, then you're not fulfilling this. You know, it's important that we have obedience in our life. You know, God doesn't give us suggestions. He gives us commands. When God says something to you very specifically, hey, I want this to stop in your life, and you go, well, maybe next week. That's disobedience. I tell my kids, delayed obedience is disobedience, right? It's diso it's fl you flat out going, no, I'm not going to do it. It's as simple as that. Who's God in your life? Is it him? So when he says, do something, you say, yes, yes, Lord. There's a healthy fear there, knowing what's coming if you don't obey. Well, what's coming if we don't obey, Rob? Well, let's read. And do not rebel against the commandment of the Lord. Then both you and the king who reigns over you will continue following the Lord. If you do obey, you continue following. If you don't, look at verse 15. However, if you do not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you as it was against your fathers. Wait a minute. The hand of the Lord would actually be against them? Yeah. The Bible tells us whom he loves, he chastens. Whom he loves, he chastens. If we live in disobedience to the Lord and we don't live in a fear of the Lord and we don't live, you know, if we want to elevate ourselves as Lord, do we really believe that the hand of the Lord is against me? You better. You should. 
Because if you're not responding, it is against you. Not in a way where he's mad at you, we're in a way where he's directing you to respond. You see, he wants to bring you into obedience. He wants to bring you into fellowship. But the hand of the Lord against me, what would that be like? That would be one problem after another. That would be things aren't going right. That would be, that would be a disaster. I don't want that to happen, do you? Well, how do I keep it from happening? Obey. Serve. Place him as God in your life. Do what he tells you to do. It's, it's real simple. But wait a minute, Rob. What does it look like in today's culture? What about the people that we would call uh, uh, carnal Christians? You know, well, they, they profess a faith in Jesus Christ, but they're following the things of the world. How does it work? Listen, it works in everybody's life individually. God's working with you individually, and he knows what you need most. He is working with you so specifically, so intricately, so personally, that he knows exactly what it is you need to get you where you need to be. And he's going to bring that chastening. He's going to bring that discipline. He's going to allow those things to happen, not so that he, he can get some kind of fulfillment or joy out of it, but so he can bring you into his will because he knows that his will is the best thing for you. That's the whole heart behind it. When we, when we have to chasten children, we have to tell kids no, we have to require to, to deal with their disobedience. Why do we do that as a parent? Because we know their disobedience is going to lead them someplace they don't want to go. We know that if, they, if we don't take care of selfishness, what's going to happen? I'm going to raise selfish kids. If I don't take care of things in my children's life, if I don't you know, teach my children not to cross the road without looking both ways, what's going to happen? They're going to get in splat. They're going to get run over by a car because they're going to run out and not look someday. Am I being mean or a bad parent by, doing, by, by making those choices? Of course not. I'm doing what's best for my children. God's the same way. The things that he allows in our life, he's trying to, trying to chasten us. He's trying to bring us into more fellowship with him, bring us onto the plan. Think about this for a second. Think about you being a parent. And you say, I've got this plan laid out for my kids. I, their whole life, I've got it planned out. I've got it orchestrated. It's going to go wonderful. There, there might be some difficulty some, for some lessons for them to learn along the way. We're going, to put some, we're going to throw some of that in. But at the end of the life, end of the life they're going to look back and go, wow, this was incredible. And, you've, and, and you have the ability to make all these things happen. Incredible things and whatever it is. And, un, and, you, and then your son or your daughter goes, well, I don't want to go that way. I want to go over here. No, 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 no. I, no, I, want, I, I planned this out. I planned it this way. And this is better for you. No, I want to go over here. I got a guy over here. The little girl says, I, I, want, to, I want to go date this guy. No, no, I've got a better guy for you. I have one over here for you. I already picked. No, no, I don't want him. I want this one. And, and they continually rebel and continually rebel. As a dad, what do you think? You're like, come on. You know, I mean, you, you, the love is still there. You still want a fellowship, but you're just thinking you're missing out on the best opportunity for you because I've already planned it out. Our life as Christians is the exact same way. It's already planned out before us. When the Lord says, hey, don't go there. The Lord says, I really need you to stop thinking that way. I really need you to stop behaving that way. I really need you to, you know, I, I've pointed this sin out in your life and, and I really want you to stop it so that you can move back onto my path. The longer we delay, the longer we're away. Why, why would we delay any longer? Well, you know, Lord, I'm working on that. Is there really anything to work? Is there really a decision to be made? But we stupidly, including myself sometimes, go after the wrong path and think, well, that's just dumb. You see, he told him very clearly, Fear the Lord, serve him, obey his voice, do not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, and you and the king who reigns over you will continue following the Lord your God. The moment you do any one of those things, you're no longer following God. When God is leading in this direction and you don't go, you're not following. If God is leading in this direction and you go that direction, you're not following. Listen, as Christians, we can, the Lord can be saying, all right, I'm doing this, and, and we're going this way. And you go, well, I'm going to stay right here for a little bit. You're not following. You're stopped. You're parked. You're in park. God says, I'm going over here. Let's go. Come on. And you're going, no, 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 not, not yet. Well, who's leading the show there? You are. When God says, say, hey, listen, I, I take this seriously. If you'll do what I tell you to do, you will be blessed incredibly. You will be incredibly blessed. I don't mean financially. You'll be, you'll be blessed. However, if you do not obey the voice of the Lord, but you rebel, that's what teenagers do, right? Rebel against the commandment of their parents, the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you as it is against your fathers. I like the Lord spells it out for them. 
Samuel is reminding them, you know, there's no, there's no tricks with God. Listen, if you follow me, you're going to be blessed. If you don't, my hand's going to be against you. I'm going to be forced to have my hand, the hand of the Lord against you, all in an effort to bring you back to following. That's the goal. It's not to get you in trouble. It's not to put you down. It's just, I want, you to, I want to bring you back. I'm just trying to bring you back to following me. That's all he's trying to do. And he reminds them, as it was against your father's. You've seen this happen. God hasn't changed. You watched it with your forefathers. You've watched it with your life. Here we are at a point. You've asked for a king. We've given you a king. It wasn't God's plan. If you stay with the king, you'll be okay, Israel. But if you rebel, you're not going to be okay because the hand of God is going to come against you. It's amazing the Lord is still with them. He's still with them. Now verse 16 before we get to verse 16, what do you think they're thinking right now? What do you think Israel's thinking right now? Their celebration has taken place. They're excited because they won the war. King Naash and the Ammonites are done. Uh, what do you think they're thinking? All of a sudden, Samuel gets up and he's starting to talk all this serious stuff. We just want to celebrate and serve the Lord and recommit our lives. And here comes Samuel. And, and uh, they're probably thinking, I wish he'd sit down. Let us just, let us just keep, th- you know what, you, Samuel, you're ruined it for us. We were doing so good and we were happy and celebrating and now, now you're just, come on, man, sit down and wait for this. We, that's, this is why we wanted a king because you're always speaking off like this. I don't know if that's what they were saying, but Samuel is going to do something miraculous. Look what he says to him in verse 16. Now, therefore, stand and see this great thing which the Lord will do before your eyes. You see, I think he needs to get their attention. I don't think they're really listening to what he's saying. I don't think they really see it. They're not really grasping what Samuel's trying to tell them. So he says to them, listen, stand still. I want you to see something because God's going to do something great here. Pay attention. And he says in verse 17, is today not the wheat harvest? The wheat harvest? I will call to the Lord and he will send thunder and rain that you may perceive and see that your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord in asking a king for yourselves. You see, at this point in this conversation, they didn't really realize they were wrong. As Samuel is sharing with them, they're celebrating. They don't, get what the, they don't get their error yet. They haven't figured it out yet. So Samuel says, we're going to do something great here. He goes, it's the wheat harvest, right? The wheat harvest was a dry time. It's where they had to gather the wheat. They had to bundle it up. They put it out in the sun and let the sun dry it out. You couldn't bundle wheat in the rain. It's kind of like, kind of like hay. You know, you, you want to cut hay, you want to let the hay dry. If it rains too much, you can't bundle the hay. It has to dry, so it's a dry time. Rain wasn't, this wasn't the time of year that it rained. This was the dry season. So he said, it's the dry season out right now. Because here's what's going to happen. It's the dry season, it's not supposed to rain, but I'm going to call to the Lord, and he's going to send thunder and rain. Yeah, right, Samuel, go ahead. What do you think happened? Samuel did it. But he says, this is why I'm doing this. Because you guys need to understand something. You need to understand that you need to know that you may... Per- I, want, I want you to perceive and see. I want you to have an understanding that your wickedness is great. You see, you're celebrating with the Lord in your victory. Your emotions are high and you've forgotten your wickedness. You've forgotten your sin. And I don't want you to forget your sin in your celebration. I want you to remember, I want you to know how great your sin is. And what is that sin specifically, he says... That you may perceive and see that your wickedness is great, which you've done in the sight of the Lord. And here's what it is. In asking a king for yourselves. Samuel says, I want you guys to know, and I'm going to ask God to bring rain right now, so that you will know that you have sinned against God in asking for a king. That's pretty serious. So Samuel, in verse 18, calls to the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day. And all the people feared the Lord and Samuel. You see, up until this point, they hadn't got it. They didn't realize it. They were just doing what they wanted to do. We want a king like everybody else. Everybody else, th- there's a lot of rationalization, a lot of justification going on in their life. Everybody else is doing it. Why, why do we have to be different? Everybody else has, is living this way. Everybody else is doing this. Why do we have to be different? As Christians, we're called to be different. Our lives shouldn't look like the rest of the world. Our life should not look like the rest of the world. As a matter of fact, somebody should have the ability to go into your 
text messages. Somebody should have the ability to listen to your conversation. Somebody should have the ability to look at your home, look in your bedroom, see what's important to you, see where you spend your time. And there should be evidence there to convict you of being a Christian. Think about it that way. If I wanted to convict you of being a Christian, could I find the evidence? Could anybody find the evidence? Or when we looked at your text messages, we looked at your conversations, we heard what was being said, we heard what you were talking about, we heard what you were searching on the internet, we've, we found all this stuff out about you as a whole, not the little part of it, part of you that you want us to see. When we could see all of you, would we see devotion to God? Would we see Bible time? What would we see in your life? Please understand, we're not perfect. But would there be any evidence of being a Christian? How much of it would be there? Or would it be a 50-50 thing? What is it? 50-50, 60-40, 70-30? You see, our goal is to be 100% for God. Nothing for the world. And we're all on a different path to get there. But I say that because I want to encourage you to take a look at your life and see. Take an account of your life. Where am I spending my time? What am I doing? Not TV's not bad. You can watch a little TV once in a while. But is what you're watching, are you engaged in watching sin? Or are you engaged in watching something that really is just neutral? Some things are profitable, some things are neutral, and some things are detrimental. You know, what, what is it? Take that into account for our lives. Lord, what are we watching? What are we listening to? Where are we, where are we putting our minds? Where, what are we thinking about? What if we could view somebody's mind? We had a way of telling what you thought about all day long. Would we find evidence you're thinking about the Lord? Would we find prayer without ceasing like the Apostle Paul says? Does that feel convicting? It does for me. Because when I, I ask myself those same questions, and I realize that every time I think along those lines, there's changes I need to make in my life. And I don't say those things to convict us and make us feel bad. I say those things to challenge us. I say those things to say, you know what, it might be the Holy Spirit saying, hey, listen, there's something in your life I want to I work out. I want to deal with. I'm going to chase in here. I'm going to make things a little difficult you know, in your life. And I, there's, there's a lot I want to do, but I've got to get past this. I want to, before we move on, I want to remind, because we're talking about things in our own life, I want to remind you of something. I want to share something with you. Will you let God be the one to tell you the thing you need to work on? Let the Holy Spirit be the one to minister to you. Sometimes in life, we can look at our own life and think, you know what, I really need to fix this thing over here. This is, this is what I need to fix. I, and I'm, I'm going to spend all my time trying to fix this thing over here. And God's saying, that's not where I want you to work. I want you to work over here. I'm working over here. If you'll just forget about that and work, on, work with me and connect with me, we'll solve this, and by solving this, that'll take care of itself. It's so very important that when it comes to evaluating our life, when it comes to looking at my life and saying, Lord, what is it that you want to do? That I allow him to be the one that directs us. He might not be working on the most glaring thing in your life at this time. He might be working on something you think is insignificant. And you think, I have to solve this. And he's going, no, I just want you to work over here. This, this, I just want to work here. You know, it's important that you're led by the Holy Spirit. There's no rules that, that, that I can't tell you how to do it, what to do it. It's a, it's, an, it's a relationship. Lord, what do you want me to do? What in my life is unpleasing to you? And as you pray that prayer, what comes to your mind? And you'll find that the Lord will bring things up. And then you have a choice to make. Am I going to be obedient? Am I going to, Lord, I'll, I'll do that. I'm going to change that. Or do I just go... Not yet, let's work on this over here. You, you see the importance? We need to be spirit-led people where we let, let the Lord decide. And back to our message here in Samuel, the people have now been told through an incredible miracle, they've watched what Samuel did. I'm sure there were some doubters and some naysayers in the audience. Yeah, yeah, right, it's, no, it doesn't rain this time of year. Yeah, everybody has a king. We, that's just your opinion. You're not being culturally relevant for today, Samuel. All the other nations have kings, so we need to have a king too. I don't care. I know Israel means governed by God, but that was, you know, like for our forefathers. That doesn't apply to us today. We hear that in the Bible today, don't we? That's not important today. That, that's, that's for them. We need a king. Samuel says, I want you to know that you've sinned dramatically against God, dramatically against the Lord, that you've sinned dramatically. I want you to know how serious it is and to show you I'm going to call rain. And we read that he does it. He calls, the Lord sent thunder, rain, and the people are afraid. And look at verse 19. The people said to Samuel, pray for your servants to the Lord your God that we may not die. For we have added to all our sins the evil of asking a king for ourselves. In the midst of their celebration, in the midst of their 
sacrifices, in the midst of them recommitting their nation to God, their sin is addressed and they acknowledge it. They say, pray for us, Samuel. Samuel, we've messed up here. Would you pray for us? Pray for your servants of the Lord your God that we may not die. They're afraid God's going to kill them. God's going to kill them. God doesn't like us anymore. You ever felt that way in your sin? God's mad at me. He doesn't like me anymore. He's going to kill me. He's going to wipe me out. Samuel, would you pray for us that we don't die? Samuel says to the people in verse 20, Do not fear. Do not fear. You have done all this wickedness. Yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. Samuel says to the people, it's not about what you've done in the past. It's about what you're doing in the future. You've got a lot of wickedness in your background. Yeah, you denied the Lord. Yeah, your forefathers did. But he says, don't be afraid. God hasn't left you. God's not forsaken you. God's still with you. You wanted a king. You're going to live with the consequences of your choice. God said, Samuel says, we're not removing that. You've got a king. You wanted a king, you got a king. Now you're going to live with those consequences. But know this, even though it was wrong, what you did and what you asked for, God's still with you. He has not abandoned you even a little bit. You have done all this wickedness, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. Have you ever noticed Satan wants to put your past in front of you all the time? Wants to tell you how bad you were, it doesn't worth it, the mistakes you made. That is not from the Lord. That is not from the Lord at all. The Lord is still with you. It doesn't mean that the consequences of our past will be taken away, but the Lord is still with us. And let me explain it to you this way. Before you got saved, and I talked briefly about we carry the baggage of our past into our relationships. We carry the baggage of our past into our marriage. We carry the baggage of our past into the relationship with God. Those consequences don't go away. They're still there. But God says, I'm bigger than that. I'm bigger than that. You don't have to live with, you know, they're there. That's okay. But I'm not leaving you. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with your, all your heart. If you're thinking about the past, you can't serve the Lord with all your heart. The Lord says, I want that part of your heart that's stuck in the past. I want that part of your heart that can't get over what you've done. I want that part of the heart that's still mad at yourself for doing that thing. I want that part of your heart. I want you to serve the Lord with all your heart. All the heart. Even the guilty part. Even the, even, even the unworthy part. Even the unrighteous part. I want you to serve the Lord with all of your heart. That's all he's asking for. Will you, will, will you serve the Lord with all your heart? In verse 21. And don't turn aside. Don't turn aside. Don't go back. Don't let Satan sway you, for then you would go after empty things which cannot profit or deliver, for they are nothing. If you cease to follow the Lord with all your heart, it means you've given part of your heart to something else. Anything other than the Lord is what he's saying is going to be empty, and it cannot profit you, and it cannot deliver you. Instead, it will hold you captive. Follow the Lord with all your heart. Verse 22, for the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake because it has pleased the Lord to make you his people. God won't forsake you. God won't forsake them. When people say, and we talked about it in Revelation, replacement theology, the church has replaced the nation Israel. How do you deal with that verse? God will not forsake his people. He hasn't forsaken the Jewish people today. He didn't forsake them then. He didn't like what they did, but he's still with them. Same thing with us. He will not forsake his people. Why? Number one, it's for his name's sake. For his name's sake. He wants to show himself faithful. He wants to show himself true. He wants to be able to, we'll look back at all of history someday and go, we see what God was doing on the earth. The whole plan will be revealed to us from the fall of Adam through the, through the tribulation period to where God redeems the, the nation of Israel back to himself. He's not forsake them yet. And then look at verse... Uh, oh, uh, the, last, the second thing is because it has pleased the Lord to make you his people. He's happy for you to be his people. Whew. This is the people that keep leaving him. This is the people that keep forsaking him and following the things of the world and coming back and leaving and coming back. And they're so fickle. And a new little thing comes along. They're after this Canaanite religion, that Canaanite religion. They're... God says, I like you guys. I love you guys. I love you. I know you walk away. And every time you cry out, I'll be there. I haven't forsaken you. 
he wants to, he hasn't forsaken the nation Israel because he wants to make his name great. And he hasn't forsaken the nation Israel because he loves them. And it's the same thing with us. He wants to do something in our life and he loves us. We think that he doesn't like us when we make a mistake. We think that, well, I've made God mad at me. And that's not true at all. It's just the opposite. He's saying, I want to fix it and make it better for you. I want to forgive you. I'm, I'm holding forgiveness in my hands. Just come back. Don't walk away. Don't forsake me. Don't leave. Don't follow those empty things which cannot profit or deliver you. They're nothing, he says. And then in verse 23, Moreover is for me, far be it from me, that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. But I will teach you the good and the right way. Only fear the Lord. Serve him in truth with all your heart. For consider what great things he has done for you. But if you still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. You see, when the nation Israel realized what they had done and how they had greatly sinned, when they realized that, they said in verse 19, they said that the people said to Samuel, pray for your servants to the Lord your God that we may not die. Samuel, would you pray for us? And Samuel says to them, of course I'll pray for you. Far be it from me that I would sin against the Lord by not praying for you. I'm not abandoning you. Sam, do you think Samuel was happy with the fact they wanted a king? No. Do you think he knew it was a direct disobedience to God? Absolutely. But he says, you know what? I'm still going to pray for you. I'm still going to pray for you. Far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord and ceasing to pray for you. What about you? You ever have anybody wrong you? You ever have anybody treat you the wrong way? Can you pray for them? When someone does something wrong to you, someone hurts you, someone has, I don't mean someone, you know, cut you off in traffic. Lord, help that person be a better driver. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when somebody really does something wrong, can you actually pray for them? Pastor John Corson put it this way. He said, prayerlessness is the epitome of selfishness. Because my failure to intercede for others means I am withholding that which would so greatly bless them. Prayerlessness is the epitome of selfishness because if I don't pray for them, I'm withholding that very thing that would bless them. That is why Samuel was shocked at the suggestion that he wouldn't pray. See, they thought Samuel was mad at him too. They thought God was mad at him. And Samuel is not shocked. Sam, you know, they thought Samuel was shocked at this. And Samuel goes, listen. Of course I'm going to pray for you. I'm not going to sin against God by ceasing to pray for you because I know how much my prayers will bless you. Same thing works for us. Prayerlessness is the epitome of selfishness. And he went on to say this. Prayer is the proof of love and love is the product of prayer. If I love someone, I will pray for him. And if I pray for him, I will love him. That's why Jesus told us to pray for our enemies. If you pray for someone, even someone you don't like, something happens within you. You find your heart knit to those for whom you pray. You see, the picture there is if you don't like somebody, your tendency is not to pray for them. And the Bible says just the opposite. Pray for your enemies. Pray for those who spitefully use you, it says in Matthew chapter 5. Pray for those who are, who are coming against you. Pray for them. And you will find, pray for the people that you don't like and you'll find that you like them. You'll find that there's something that's done when you spend time praying for somebody. Honest prayer. And like I said, I'm not talking about making somebody be a better driver in traffic. Honestly, if somebody's hurt you or wronged you, the scriptures say pray for them. And you'll find that you're going to do them blessed. You're going to actually bless them. That God's, God's going to answer those prayers. God might just be working in their life as a result of those prayers. Samuel says, of course I'm going to pray for you. But he leaves him with a final warning in verse 21 or 24. Only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart. Don't be a divided Christian. Don't be somebody serving, half, serving the Lord and serving something else. He said, serve him in truth with all of your heart. For consider what great things he has done for you. Is there anything in this world that can bring you the peace that God brings you? Is there anything in this world that can bring you the joy that God brings you? Is there anything in this world that can bring you the hope that the Lord brings you? Why would we ever want to replace part or send part of our heart worshiping something else? But yet we do. 
And he gives us messages like this to bring us back. That's what the warning comes from. Lord, is there anything that I'm doing? Because he doesn't stop. For consider what great things he's done for you, but if you still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. As it comes to our heart, the things of the world, as they try to seep in our life, if we continue to do wickedly, we continue to serve those things, we're going to find ourselves swept away. It's been said you're either growing closer to God or farther away because you cannot stand still very long. You're either growing closer or slipping away. And as we sit here in a group tonight, there might be some that are tendency to think, you know what, that's me, I'm slipping away. The answer is simple. What does he call us to do? Just repent and come back to him. But we have a tendency to believe the lies of the enemies. He's mad at us. Don't kill us. Don't wipe us out. Mm -mm, he says, I won't do that. I just want you to come back. You'll live with the consequences, but I'll be with you as we walk through them together. Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, as we take a look at the nation Israel, we can see so much of ourselves in there. For we find it even comical that they left and came back so many times, but we can look at our own life and we find exactly the same thing. Father, would we not give in to the temptation of the enemy to think that you're done with us? For Lord, you could have been done with the nation Israel many, many times. But instead, your faithfulness and your grace is shining forth through the pages of the Old Testament where everyone thinks judgment lies. Lord, all I see is grace and mercy. I see forgiveness. I see a God who will reach out to his people anyway, who will allow his people to go through hardship just to bring them back. Lord, may we examine our own life and ask the question, ask the hard questions. Do we fear you? Are we serving you? Are we obeying your voice? Or are we rebelling against you? Lord, your word has made it clear that your hand will be against us if that's our heart. But we'll be swept away. Father, as we examine ourselves tonight, may repentance be on our heart. May we worship you for your grace and your mercy. May we know that you're not done with us. For your word promises he who has begun a good work in us will complete it in the day of Christ Jesus our Lord. Father, we're your work in progress. May you continue working. May we yield to the work that you're doing. May we not walk in disobedience but in the light. In Jesus' name, amen.